Welcome to One, where we'll learn about the one body of Christ, one story at a time. Well, welcome. Welcome to another episode of One, uh, this video podcast where we're hearing many stories about this one body, uh, this one body of Christ. And I'm really excited today for uh, the opportunity for you to get to know Rebecca Weigel. Uh, many of you here at North Park uh, have met Rebecca through a couple of interviews that we've done and uh, gotten to hear her role as the Southern California Area Director for Care Portal, really a massive responsibility. And uh, we'll get to touch on that today, but also want to get to know Rebecca, uh, uh, her story, um, and uh, get to know her a little better. So just absolutely thrilled, Rebecca. Welcome. We're so glad to have you here. Thank you. I'm excited too. So thank you so much for inviting me on. Oh, it's going to be a delight. I think it's going to be wonderful people to get to know you a little bit better as I'm getting to know you and just your heart and passion and, uh, you, you know, kind of your story. So, um, you know, kind of let's just kind of start off with just kind of your background. Uh, you know, kind of tell us where where'd you grow up? Yeah, well, I grew up in a small town in Kansas, about 30 miles outside of Kansas City. Um, small little town that didn't have any streetlights and we got a McDonald's my senior year. <laughs> so, yeah, just a small town Kansas girl grew up fishing and catching frogs and <laughs> Just, um, I had a big family. There were six kids in my family. So, and, oh, really? And, yeah. That's awesome. Well, the small town things, I grew up for seven years, kind of second grade through eighth grade in a little town in Texas called Hereford. Uh huh. <laughs> and uh, it sounds a little bigger than what yours was, about 15,000. Um, yeah. It's, it's claim to fame, <laughs> though, was outside of town, was the largest feedlot, at least at that time, uh, in North America. Wow. So, yeah, it had the real wonderful distinction in the uh, spring uh, mm -hmm. because you also had the uh, sugar beet processing plants outside of town. And so yeah. in the spring, you'd get this sort of uh, fog would roll in mm -hmm. and it'd be a combination of the feedlot manure smell and this really, really putrid sweet smell of the sugar beet <laughs> processing plant. It was just mm -hmm. overwhelmingly bad. And the old timers <laughs> would say, that's the smell of money. <laughs> That's and my funny. thought was, I never, ever want <laughs> money. <laughs> oh, boy. Oh, but small town can... life, that's just like, there's yes. a lot of good things about that, right? I mean, growing up in a small town. And so now you had six siblings. So where do you fall in that with six siblings? Yeah, so there were six total. I was the second in line. So I had an older brother, then I was the oldest girl. So I helped a lot with my younger siblings, my brothers and sisters growing up. And really, we just spent a lot of time in the forest and catching frogs and snakes. And I was a total tomboy. So <laughs> my mom would try to put me in a dress and I was just had snakes and, you know, <laughs> loved that. So it's funny because I have a couple of my kids are like that. And now they're they're in L.A. and they're catching frogs and lizards. And people are like, where do these kids come from? <laughs> well, they kind of came from their mom. <laughs> They've got some Midwest in them. Yeah. That's awesome. What was the, the age difference between you and your youngest sibling? Um, You know, there was about... Three years between me and my older brother, and then the rest of the kids. It was like every two years there was another child or 18 months. So probably about 10 years between okay. me and my youngest brother. Yeah, it's similar to me. Yeah. My uh, sister is uh, about nine years younger. 
than I mm-hmm. am, um, which is a really different dynamic, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, with big families, you learn to, you learn life's not just all about you and you have to share and you have to learn how to get along with people. And so there was always a party at our house. There was always something exciting going on. And so I actually really love big families and now we have a big family too. So yeah, you're kind of similar now because you've got uh, five kids there at home. Yeah, we have five. And then we're also resource parents. So sometimes we have six kids and sometimes we have five. But um, yeah, right now we have five that are our own children. Now, in the ages of your kids right now? Uh, We have an 18-year-old that graduated high school. Um, Congratulations. Yeah, a 16-year-old, two 14-year-olds, and a 10-year-old. So you have your hands very full. I do. I'm very blessed. <laughs> My quiver is full. <laughs> very full indeed. Very full. So now kind of kind of we're on the clock and go back to Kansas. So uh, you're there in Kansas. Um, did you live in that same town the entire time growing up? Yeah, pretty much. I mean, we grew up, you know, it was called DeSoto, Kansas. Um, I went to a junior college in the Kansas City area. Um, ended up doing track and field. I was a hammer and discus thrower in college. So <laughs> really, that's awesome. Yeah. 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 So I was always, I love sports and, um, play volleyball and track and ended up doing track and field at the university of Wyoming. Um, oh, really? that was where, um, my husband, and I got married and lived in married student housing at the University of Wyoming. And yeah, it was an amazing experience. I got to travel across the country for track meets and compete on the national level. And it was, yeah, it was an amazing experience. Oh, how fun. So <clears throat> now you met your husband at the University of Wyoming. We actually met when we were back in Kansas City. Um, There was a Christian discipleship program that we both went through and right out of high school. And he was straight from Boulder, Colorado, had just shaved his mohawk. (laughs) He was a really strong believer, but I was just like, this guy's weird. Um, (laughs) So at first we didn't really hit it off, um, but he just had such a hunger for the Lord and passion for Jesus that we became good friends and started dating and ended up, yeah, moving to Wyoming. And it was, we lived there for the first couple of years of our marriage. Wow. That's exciting. And so then, uh, he was out there, uh, in Wyoming and you're, uh, going to the university of Wyoming and then also doing track and school and, mm-hmm. oh, that's exciting. Yeah. I met my wife, uh, really the first week uh, before school started uh, there at Baylor University. So kind of mm. kind of similar. And we pretty much knew just within a couple of months that she was the one mm. and uh, started dating exclusively. And, uh, and then uh, two years proposed. And then we were married at the end of our junior year. So we were married okay. during our senior year at Baylor. Yeah. Well, we, I was probably about, I think it was my junior year that we got married too. So we were married in college too. And It was great. Yeah. I mean, we really enjoyed, you know, we would go on the weekends and go camping and in the snow in Wyoming. (laughs) He'd take me fishing and, um, you know, we had a great, it was a great time, like being married in college. I actually really enjoyed it. 
Yeah, so. we did too. It was really neat. I mean, in many ways, life just kind of was normal going on. I mean, she was part of a sorority and, you know, I was just kind of doing my stuff with, uh, you know, friends and both of us doing class. And uh, my best friend, um, who's actually a year older than me, back from Amarillo High School, um, uh, he married um, a girl, Melissa, who was from my class at Amarillo High. And then mm. um, they're at Baylor. And so it was kind of cool because then they were, um, they got married a couple of months after us and then they lived a few doors down from us in an apartment complex there in Waco. So <laughs> it was just kind of the most normal thing in the world, you know, and then uh, doing the college thing and being married, it was really fun. Yeah, I know. I People, fit, you know, a lot of times discourage people from getting married young, but I, we had a great experience and. You know, I think there's advantages to getting married young. You know, you don't, you're not as set in your ways. You haven't <laughs> yeah. lived with anybody else, you know. So, like, adjusting to that was, I think, a little easier than sometimes if, you know, I have some friends that have lived on their own for a long time and become very independent and trying to mesh lives is a little bit, can be more challenging. So, totally. I'm all for getting married young personally. So, <laughs> you know, I say that <clears throat> until, um, you know, my son or my daughter, you know, goes off and if they were to do the same thing, because I, I, I continually just feel so bad for my father-in-law that, you know, his daughter goes off to Baylor. And then, you know, two years later, here's this Yahoo from Texas flying out to Southern California. And we'd, we'd met before and, and, you know, loved him. Great guy. But here I am in his living room. And I'm this liberal arts guy, right? Um, Studying religion and sociology. And he's an accountant. <clears throat> and I'm sitting there asking for his daughter's hand in marriage. And I have on this really goofy little piece of engineering paper that kind of has a little squares. Mm -hmm. And I thought I was really, <clears throat> you know, just really knocking the ball, ball of the park. In pencil, I'd written up my budget. <laughs> for how I was going <laughs> to provide for his daughter. And there was maybe, you know, six lines to this thing, you know, of expenses. And I just want to show this guy, man, I've got this dialed in. Like, you know, I, I know what I'm doing. And I'm handing this to this guy. And I, look, you know, I think back on that and think, man, that poor guy, golly. If I was in his shoes, like how horrible would that be? I have a similar, we had a similar experience. I remember Josh being sat down like, so how are you going to provide for Rebecca? He's like, I'm going to be a filmmaker in Hollywood. They're like, okay, so what's your plan? He's like, I don't know. Like, God's going to open doors and I'll be a filmmaker. And they're like, how are you going to pay the bills? He's like, I don't know. It'll work out. <laughs> and oh, we're like, yeah, so it'll funny. work out. <sighs> that's like that commercial that's on the TV right now. It's like a progressive insurance or something like that. And it's the one that's like, you, you know, you're going to grow up and be like your parents. There's like four people sitting at a table. They're kind of like young adults and they're, you know, like, you know, young married, you know, couples, two couples <clears throat> and waitress comes up and one of the guys uh, says to the waitress, Oh, you know, what are you studying? Oh, I'm studying, you know, uh, uh, English and poetry, you know, and this next thing to her is, how are you going to make money? What are you going to do for money? And it's like the tagline, you know, <laughs> nothing can stop you from being like your parents, you know? It's like, oh, that's great. How are you going to make money? But, you know, to, to my father-in-law's credit, when I, you know, started the conversation, he looks at me and he goes, <clears throat> Robert, he goes, just kind of started the conversation. I know that no matter what I say is going to have any 
sort of impact on what you guys are going to do. Like, you're going to do what you're going to do. And my first thought was, man, you are really smart. <laughs> like, you're right. You're yes. right. But then what was great was it led to this beautiful two-hour conversation mm-hmm. just as adults, man to man, um, mm-hmm. of our background. Mm-hmm. And come to find out, uh, he had grown up in a single-parent family, grown up, uh, his mom raised him. Similar to me, uh, my mom raising myself and then uh, myself and my sister. And then just that beautiful conversation of us and, you know, growing up and what does it mean to follow Jesus? And, you know, what does it mean to be, a, you know, a follower of Jesus and a husband? And and the whole time that I didn't know, but my wife and uh, my soon-to-be uh, mother-in-law were in the back room, you know, worried things were going to go wrong, you know, like, oh no, how's this going to go? And it was just absolutely wonderful, you know, of having that conversation with him and, and about life and, you know, lessons learned. And so for you, um, you know, raising her in Kansas and family of six, um, when, when did you come to, to trust Christ? Was it a kid? Was it later? I mean, when did you trust in Christ and when did it become Real. I mean, the sense of like, you know, sort of like, this is my faith. Yeah. You know, I, it was my high school, my junior year of high school. And I had been, you know, I'd been raised in a Christian home and kind of walked away from the Lord and, and kind of started rebelling against my parents and getting into some things I shouldn't have. And, um, I went to a youth camp that God just really got a hold of me and convicted me and just I turned my life around and gave my heart to Jesus and really from that point on um, decided I was going to trust God and I was going to walk with Him and I was going to walk in obedience and um, and so you know I know you know it's kind of rare in high school to do that but Um, It was a real, I had a real encounter with the Lord and um, came back to my high school and was leading Bible study groups and really, because I was in a public high school and, um, and then went away the next year to this Christian discipleship program to really focus on getting discipled and um, my relationship with the Lord going deeper and really had the opportunity to sit under some really wise, seasoned people that just really spoke into my life. And that's where I met my husband. And so that was, you know, in high school was when I really gave my life to the Lord. But to be honest, I think I was, (laughs) I kind of joke that I got re-saved once I started fostering and adopting children. So I think... Because I was always kind of like the, you know, rule follower and, you know, I had kind of organized my life in a way that I think I felt like I was a pretty good person. Like after I gave my life to the Lord, it was like mm-hmm. pretty easy for me to obey rules. Like I was kind of the kid in my family, too, that obeyed the rules and didn't like to be in trouble. And and it was interesting because, you know, we had three children and we God put it on our heart to start fostering and adopting kids. I know I'm kind of jumping ahead here, but no, no. How old? Um, I'm just curious. How old were your kids when you guys made that decision? Um, we 
had a 10-year-old, an 8-year-old, and a 6-year-old. But I think from the time we were married, we had a heart for adoption and foster care. Um, But we kept putting it off thinking like someday when our film career takes off or our movies start getting made and we have more help and we have a bigger house. You know, all the things that a lot of people wait for until Mm. the perfect timing. Sure. Um, And I ended up meeting this woman that just rocked my world that, had adopted like 10 kids and she was just so full of Jesus. And I just was like, man, I, I wanted what she had, to be honest. There was this utter dependence and trust in the Lord that I saw in her life. And I went back to my husband and said, look, I think we need to step forward. I think we need to do this. It's always been in our heart. There's never going to be a perfect time and we keep waiting and, but maybe God wants us to take a step of faith and obedience. And so, um, we did, we took this step and the Lord opened the door. Um, a sibling set was placed with us and, but in that process, I'll say that our life was like turned upside down for a season. I mean, it was really, really challenging. I mean, we went from having three little kids that, you know, we had raised and we had instilled our values in. And there was, um, you know, they were obedient. They were the kids that in the class that were the role models. And, you know, honestly, I think there was a lot of pride in my heart. of like, mm-hmm. I'm a really good mom and I'm, I'm doing a good job. And I, you know, I... I think God wanted to take that and show me my own need for him. Mm. And I don't, until we stepped in and started fostering and adopting, I didn't really know my brokenness, to be honest. I didn't really know my own sinful heart. I mean, I'd been through a period in high school where, you know, I'd rebelled and things. But from that point on, you know, I'd kind of been the rule follower that was like um, the example or role model and, um, And then bringing in kids from really broken places into our family and having Mm. our family kind of turned upside down for a season, um, really, I had to reconcile some of the Mm. feelings that I was feeling and just honestly a lack of love that I had and um, just I started struggling with resentment and just, Mm. you know, because our family went from being really peaceful to being really chaotic and really hectic and really hard and Mm -hmm. my life went from being pretty easy and I didn't think it was easy at the time because having three little kids isn't necessarily easy (laughs) but when you're dealing with really you know some really hard behaviors and pain um but the Lord used it in my life to draw me to him and to really show me my need for him and for the church and for the body of Christ and for his grace. And I, it all just kind of came alive, to be honest. Like, wow. I feel like I kind of was re, uh, it was a time of really, um, I don't know if rededicating my life to the Lord because I, I thought I was walking with the Lord, but um, just this dependence on him that I had never felt before. That word there, I think that's the key, right? It's the dependence mm-hmm. that, you know, when we're in a place in life where we think we've, you know, got it dialed in yeah. and, uh, you know, there isn't that sense of just utter dependence of, I don't, I'm not strong enough, patient enough, you know, uh, I don't have the answers, you know, and, until we're into those places, those, I call them, you know, the deep water, Mm-hmm. Where you go, I I can't tread water long enough. You yeah. know, like I feel like the water's kind of coming up and it's coming over the nose, and you're going under, and like, 
Lord, I just, I, I can't do this. Until we get to yeah. that place where mm. we have to kind of cry out, God, I, I just can't do this. I'm not good enough. I'm not strong enough. I'm not smart enough. I'm not patient enough. I'm not loving enough, right? Until we hit those deep waters, you know, I think we all are in that place of mm. thinking we've got it figured out, right? And it's like, okay, Lord, why don't you jump over here on the side seat? Because you're going to love the ride, man. I'm just steering. You see, see my steering? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, the way I, I take went the corners from, is amazing. <laughs> yeah, I kind of went from that. Like I was in control. I had everything in control. I was like yeah. taking credit for my life. And then God's like, let me take control. You're going to need me. <laughs> exactly. So, and, you know, when you get to a place where you really need the Lord, um, I think that's a good place to be. I mean, the scriptures came alive for the first time of like mm. in you know, in our weakness, he's strong, you know, and that we boast about our weaknesses so that Christ's power rests upon us. And, you know, I I don't think I knew the power of God until I put myself in a place of utter weakness and dependence on him on a daily basis where yeah. I needed his strength to love. I needed his strength to be kind. I needed his strength to um, get through each day. And, it was, you know, several years of that, just utter, you know, Lord, help me. I'm, you know, I'm a mess. I need you. Um, and he answered, you know, he's good and he's faithful. So, you know, it's kind of the nature of trials and, and difficult times in life, isn't it? That um, a lot of times we wouldn't choose them mm -hmm. um, going into it and uh, in the midst of it. A lot of times those trials don't feel so great, <laughs> yeah. right? I mean, they're, they're hard and they're difficult, but when you come through them, you realize looking back the ways that, I like to use an analogy, God has um, molded, kind of like clay, mm -hmm. and the other is like sandpaper, is that there were sharp edges to me that uh, I didn't realize, and there were ways that I needed to be molded and shaped that I didn't realize. And mm -hmm. until kind of went through that blast furnace and was made moldable, right? Um, you know, then I wasn't really ready for it. I wasn't uh, looking for it. But coming out of it, mm -hmm. then you look back on it and go, boy, I, I, I wouldn't be how I am now and wouldn't mm -hmm. realize how much I needed to be changed by the Lord and how much I need Him. Yeah. If it hadn't been through those challenging times. Yeah. I mean, for, for me, and a significant time for us um, was the the reality of being in, in the Father's presence, mm -hmm. of just the significance of that, of the, you know, Hebrews, you know, saying that you can approach the throne of grace, you know, with confidence, uh, to find grace and mercy uh, to help you in your time of need. And you know, you know, it's like you say, you, you hear that and you go, okay, yeah, I know that. I believe it 100%. But until you're in the place where nothing else is going to suffice, nothing else is going to give you the grace and mercy and the help you need. And then you're in that place of utter dependence and you go into the Father's presence and, and you're just still and you're sort of like just in his presence and just quiet, just sort of, you know, on your dad's lap and mm -hmm. you find the the reality of that power and that grace and mercy and, and, and the healingness of it. And, the significance mm -hmm. of it. and it, it's really in those moments where you go, Oh, that's what it means. Yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, he's so good and he's so faithful and he's so loving. And and um, I think in my own life, you know, I <laughs> I was just pretty self-righteous and pretty mm. judgmental. And, you know, not that I don't still struggle some with that, but I think I needed he needed to shine a light on my own heart, you know, mm. even as a believer that, you know, sorry about the rooster. Is that my rooster crowing? <laughs> <laughs> Can't take the girl out of the country. <laughs> um, no, I think he needed to shine a light on my heart so he could do a work in me that really what needed to be done. And I think some heart surgery was done in those early years of, um, you know, a fostering and adopting. And I'm not trying to scare people from it because I know a lot of people here, oh, it's so hard, it's so hard. But another thing I've realized is, you know, like anything beautiful and wonderful and, and profound is hard, you know? And it's, True. you people want this, you know, amazing life or a life that's inspiring. But, you know, oftentimes we don't want to sacrifice to get there. We don't want to mm. give up our lives. And the Bible says, give up your life. So, you know, if you give up your life, you're going to gain it. Um so, you know, it's not until we lose our life and we follow him into hard places sometimes mm -hmm. where we start to learn about his nature and his goodness and he can meet us and he can empower us with his strength so that we don't take the credit for our lives and say, look what I did, you know, because I was looking at my life going, look what I've done. You know, I've produced these wonderful children and I have this wonderful marriage and all this stuff. And it's like, God was going, no, no, it's not about you, Rebecca. Mm -hmm. Like, I want glory. And I don't, you know, he wasn't getting glory through me being so good that I could take credit. <laughs> so. Wow. wow. And so for, for you guys as foster parents and sort of this adventure that you went on and, and got working through you guys, and that was now probably um, six, eight years ago, about eight years ago, I'm guessing. Yeah, it was about eight years ago. About eight years ago. And, um, and so now as you look back on that and, you know, as, as God, you know, called you to that, called you kind of into the deep waters and um, what I've heard you say to me at other times is just the, the, the way that God has filled your heart, not only with these kids and their love and just the, the richness of that, you mm -hmm. know, coming through those challenging times and not that they're not still challenging, but just the, the beauty and significance of that way God has brought the five, you know, kids together and the seven of you together and sometimes more, but, um, also the way that God has put on your heart, uh, in just these profound ways for really foster kids in, in general. And, and mm -hmm. because that, uh, has led you to the position that you're at now, uh, here in, uh, LA, uh, as the, uh, director for all of Southern California, for a care portal. And it, it seems like it was this personal journey that led to this uh, calling uh, into this role. Would that be the case? Really fast. I'm hearing a lot of background noise. Is that mine or is that yours? I think it's on your end, but it's okay. Is it? Sorry. Can you hear it through 
Very little. It'll be just the delightful sounds of kids. It's all good. <laughs> okay, because I have my headphones on, so I'm like, I'm hearing roosters and kids. Roosters I'm like, is that going to be a problem? That'll be great. You know, somebody's listening to a podcast and go, are they on the farm? How do they pull that out? This is L.A. <laughs> I text my husband when they pass and tell him to have them be quieter. What's fun about this, too, is, um, you know, just the nature of doing, you know, remote interviews. You know, it's the beauty of technology because, you know, you get to do this and, uh, you know, have these interviews with people in their home and all over the place and even all over the country. And then just the challenges, too, of, you know, we don't have sound stages in our homes. And so, you know, all of a sudden the neighbor starts mowing the lawn or, you know, dogs start barking. And that's my biggest fear is our dogs, you know, are just going to start going off in a minute. So it is yeah. what it is. It's all good. Sorry. I was it's being all distracted because I'm hearing. Um, <laughs> let me make sure to you. One the life and so joy you can of cut, family. You can cut all this out, right? Yeah, it's um, all good. It's no worries. But yeah, I would just love to hear just from from your perspective, um, that journey as you went into, you know, God calling you to bring in these foster kids and 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 that being your journey as a family and how God was working in your own life and your own heart to really to shape you and mold you and grow you. And then it sounds like that really led a journey. Kind of tell us about that journey um, and how that led into your role now with Care Portal. Yeah. I mean, I, I think I went into foster care and adoption thinking I needed to help some kids because I had this wonderful life and I was a great parent <laughs> and God was like, no, I'm, I'm going to use this to rescue you, Rebecca. Mm -hmm. Um, and so, you know, when God brought him into my life and, um, into our family, we saw a transformation in our family. I mean, through the hard stuff, um, yeah the dependence on the Lord. I mean, I saw my biological children growing in love and compassion and, you know, and, and learning to care for others. And, and really it brought the gospel into our home on a daily mm. basis of, you know, loving, you know, it says love your enemies. So, mm. you know, our little girl when she came was seven and she was really hard and she was really mean to my biological daughter. They're only a month apart. So she would be really mean. She would, try to turn all her friends against her. I mean, every opportunity. I mean, there was just something. She would laugh, actually, when she got hurt. Sydney would fall down. And Sydney was my baby. You know, she was my youngest, and she was my easiest kid. And she'd fall down and get hurt, and our new daughter would laugh. And it was, like, really hard, you know? I'm like, but then I had to reconcile, like, okay, God's called us to love our enemies. He's called mm. us to lay our lives down for people and to care for others more important than ourselves. And I want to make this right, but really God's doing heart surgery and saying, here's how you learn to love Rebecca. And for my children, too. I happen to sit down with them and say, I know your sister's really mean to you. I know she treats you really badly, but God's called us to love. So let's ask him for his power mm -hmm. and his strength to love her and for you to not react in anger, but to lay down your life and keep loving her. And so we had to live out the gospel in a way that we weren't before, and mm. it changed all of us. So it transformed our family, transformed our kids. Um, and because of that, it 
put a passion in me to get more people involved, to be honest, because I saw what it did for me mm-hmm. and my family and how God drew us closer together and to to him through it. And I thought, man, that this is what we need as the church, you know, and I think so often we're, we're separating ourselves from the world and we're keeping our children from hard things. And I, you know, I'm protective of my children too, but when it comes to things that God's commanded us to do, like loving and caring for the vulnerable and caring for the orphan and the widow and these things that God says, I've told you to do this. And when we step back to protect ourselves, I think we actually grow apathetic, we weak, and, you know, we're not exercising our um, identity as believers to love and serve and lay our lives down. And so, um, when we did that, God just did such a work in our life that it put a passion in me to get more people involved, to get more churches involved. And I also saw my need for other people to support us and to hold us up when we were weak, um, which is what the body of Christ is for. And when we had it all together and everything was great, I didn't really sense that need for the church and for other people in my life to hold me up when I was feeling weak and pray for me and encourage me. Wow. And again, it's that, that sense of dependence, right? Um, in the struggles and challenges. Um, <laughs> that's the difference between um, having church be a, uh, uh, a Sunday morning experience mm-hmm. and church being a community where you live out the gospel. Yeah. And the two couldn't be any more different. Mm -hmm. Right. I mean, one is uh, church is uh, akin to uh, a concert that you go to and you're looking to get an experience. I want to feel good. I want to feel a certain thing versus I'm a part of the body of Christ. And I want to I want to worship and I want to take in the word and then I'm living it out Monday through uh, Sunday with Mm -hmm. other Christians. And, and, and we're living it out with each other in the world mm-hmm. and living it in the way that God designed us, right? Yeah. Uh, to be those people who are, you know, taking the gospel to others and caring for others and caring for those who are hurting and, you know, bringing justice and mercy and compassion, right? And truly, and, and as we live that out with each other and, and with those who don't know Jesus, that's how God designed this whole process of growth. Yeah. You know, and if we view churches, it's a, an hour, you know, uh, of a service and that's how God's going to grow us. No, actually, um, that's just us really God means that to be a part, but a small part of the overall exercise in the body, you know, yeah. those, those muscles of our, of our development being, being grown and developed, you know, and yeah. And you see that in your life, because that's what I see in you, Rebecca, that um, that God has been so at work because your heart, your compassion for kids in the foster system is so deep and so real. And God's clearly called you to this. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, I see that with the churches that you guys are working with and ours, you know, and as you're working with DCFS and they're getting to know you and, and knowing that you're the real deal. Like you legitimately ache for these kids and mm-hmm. for them to want to, to allow Careport to allow you and allow church to pull alongside us because there's a legit, legitimate aching for these kids to help them and care for them flat out, 
just full stop, just care for them. Mm-hmm. And that's what you guys are all about, right? With Care Portal. Yeah. Yeah. I think as I've engaged and learned more and more and just having kids in our own house that have a lot of trauma and have been through so much. And um, I just have such a passion to see the church be the answer because we are called to be the answer. And so often I see the church stepping back because it's hard and they've heard hard stories and they've heard that, you know, it's difficult engaging foster care and children in the foster care system or, um, and it is difficult. It is difficult, but we're called to difficult things. And that's, that's been kind of the Lord's been waking me up over the last 10 years of, of just, I think a lot of times with American Christianity, we're taught blessing looks like our nice little house with our three little kids that are all like, you know, like, look what I've done. I'm blessed. And I don't, you know, like for me, like God's been saying, that's not what I've called my church to. I've called my church into the hard and the messy and the gritty and to restore and transform lives and cities for his glory. But we can't do that unless we get our hands dirty, unless we really start engaging stuff that seems hard and is going to mess up things. It's going to look messy and it's going to... um it's not going to be easy. It isn't easy. But the rewards of it are so great. And God knows that. That's why he called us into it as the church and said, be my hands and feet. Um, so I just want to see more churches stepping in and doing that because when the church steps in, it transforms us. Yeah. It transforms our cities and, and families too. But it transforms us. It really does. And we were talking uh, th- about this as a church uh, last Sunday and uh, just this concept of Christians, you know, that we're really, we're exiles. That's the way scripture describes us, um, you know, kind of picking up on that Old Testament picture um, when the nation of Israel was in exile. And while they're in exile, Jeremiah, uh, God tells uh, Jeremiah, uh, the prophet, um, that his exile is here to seek the peace and prosperity of the city that I have called you into an exile. And then in the New Testament, the apostle Peter refers to Christians as um, strangers and aliens in this world. And I think what uh, wrongly is when Christians hear that and go, oh, I'm, um," and here's an example, the the bumper sticker, not of this world. Mm -hmm. And I think that's been misunderstood. Yeah, that, That sense of like, oh, we're supposed to disengage. And actually, no, like the, the biblical picture is in the same time that the apostle Peter says, you're aliens and strangers of this world. The point is, meaning that you are, um, you are ultimately loyal uh, to Jesus and a part of God's kingdom. And, and, mm-hmm. and you're called then in this world uh, to seek out uh, what it means um, to follow Jesus, right? Is that you're seeking justice and mercy and compassion. And like mm-hmm. you said, being the hands and feet of Jesus that while he's away, right? Uh, that you're calling people uh, to, to know him. Um, you know, just as let your light shine among men so that they'll glorify your God in heaven, right? And, and that shine those lights means uh, our good conduct and our good behavior of loving people more than ourselves. Mm-hmm. And caring for people and, and demonstrating really the love of God to them 
Mm-hmm. And, and so aliens and strangers doesn't mean that we are disengaged, but it means that we are more engaged. Yeah. And, and, and you know, God calls us into those deep waters. And, and if we're not willing to wade there, uh, we're going to be um, weak. <laughs> we're going to be anemic. Uh, mm-hmm. Our faith is going to be small. Our churches are going to be, um, they're going to be weak. Right. Yeah. That the way that he grows as strong is stepping into the into into the deep waters and living it out. Yeah, I agree. And I think something that we didn't anticipate through this whole journey was that our kids were in a pretty liberal charter school, um, one of the most liberal in the valley, and a lot of progressive, you know, people. We were some of the only Christians. Um, and for years we'd been trying to like love people at the school and show, you know, show them what Jesus is like through our, you know, they're pretty most were pretty opposed to Christianity, so there wasn't a lot of openness to sharing our faith. So we tried to just love them through our actions. And um, but but honestly, there wasn't a lot of, you know, in like six years of us being at this school, there wasn't a lot of like opportunities to share our faith until we fostered and adopted our kids. And wow. it was shocking to me that we when when they were placed with us, our family went from three kids to five. So three kids in that community was already a lot of kids. So all of a sudden we have five kids. Two of them were not our own. They were a little bit older. They're clinging on us. I mean, they would not let us put them down for like the first like six months, like literally wow. holding a seven-year-old and a two-year-old. And, and so um, our friends that were not believers at the school, it was so crazy. Like they would come up to us and they would have tears in their eyes. And they said, I don't know what it is, Rebecca, but when I see you with these kids, it makes me cry. Like, it makes me cry. Like, why are you guys doing this? Like, who would do this? Why are you doing this? Why are you taking these kids? Like, I would never do this. And I had opportunity after opportunity to share the the gospel and to share my faith with friends just sharing with them like why we were doing this and why God had called us to this and how really I think it's a picture of the gospel. And when the gospel is on display of like, you know, God reached in and grabbed us out in our brokenness, in our weakness, in our, you know, sinfulness, loved us enough and restored us and and we didn't deserve it. You know, it's this like, and that's what adoption is. It's this beautiful picture of redemption and in the gospel that is on display for the world. And unbelievers don't even know why they're drawn to it. But when they see believers stepping in and doing and adopting kids that are not their own, they're drawn. And it was, I, I just could not believe how many times I was asked and how many times they invited me to share with them about my faith. I even mm-hmm. had one say, tell me about your faith, Rebecca. Because I now know you guys are the real deal, and wow. I wanted I want to know about your faith. I was like, wow, I've been for six years trying to wait for an opportunity, um, and they weren't impressed that I was just a good mom to my three biological kids. I mean, who you know in the world like they they're a lot of times good parents to their children, um, but when they see the church doing extraordinary things that are are motivated by the heart of God. It motivates change. It motivates them to say, there's something different about these people. Well, that is powerful. That is a powerful example, right? Because it's that unexpectedness of, I didn't see this coming, right? Like there's a love there that is, you know, 
more unusual and why would you enter into this, you know, challenges and I'm seeing something there that's different and that's attractive. And that's, you know, that's mm-hmm. what Jesus says, right? That, uh, you know, really those who are his disciples, um, you will be known, people will know you by your love. And, mm-hmm. and the thing is, we understand that that's really not our love, but it's the love that has been poured into us through Jesus that then overflows to others. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, when folks see that, they're like, wow, uh, like you said, tell me more. That's really significant. Mm -hmm. That is so cool. And, you know, um, now with Care Portal uh, has been uh, around for about four years and uh, new really to L.A. County uh, Mm -hmm. here in Southern California less than a year. I mean, you guys did a soft launch last fall and then did really more of the official launch in January Mm -hmm. in North Park. you know, we had the opportunity to be a part of that soft launch with you back uh, end of November, into December. And, um, you know, like I've told our, our church a number of times, I feel like it was just an answer to prayer for us as the Hart School District was reaching out to churches, reach out to us and, you know, asking a partner, which was just a, a wonderful thing that we were just ecstatic to do. And, mm-hmm. you know, we were in this uh, position of trying to figure out how do we match up, um, uh, you know, these resources that are being dis- or, or needs that are being di- um, um, uncovered by the, mm-hmm. the counselors, teachers, the caseworkers at the school district, significant needs, you know, families in crisis and the school district going, the, the needs are just overwhelming. And then on this over here is churches with those resources to be able to step in, you know, whether it's. Uh, a bed for a family, you know, like so many examples that we've come across, you know, uh, domestic abuse, mom and kids have to leave, uh, but they need some basic resources just to care for the kids mm-hmm. uh, and basic resources. So, you know, the law doesn't kick in and, and the kids being taken into foster care. Well, as, as churches, we've got those, you know, you've got mm-hmm. people in church going, I'd love to come alongside and, you know, provide, you know, a bed or clothes or, you know, um, whatever those needs are, but we didn't know how to match those up. And then Mm -hmm. there's Care Portal providing Mm -hmm. this connection piece uh, in real time. And I think it's just absolutely a tremendous, tremendous tool uh, that you guys are providing and, and, you know, really just getting started. Right. I mean, you guys, uh, like I said, just less than a year here in LA County, so kind of give us a sense of where things are at uh, with CarePort here in, in LA County and, and and what do you what do you hope? What do you what do you what are you looking towards in the next, you know, year, two, three down the road? Yeah. Yeah, I mean it's just such an incredible tool. So Care Portal doesn't, we don't consider ourselves a ministry or a nonprofit. Um, We're a ministry platform for the church. So the church can do the work of ministry in the city and we can increase the work through technology. And so it's just been um, an incredible first year. We've had so much favor. Um, I need to cough. (laughs) Sorry, let me take a drink. Okay, I'm going to start that over. Um, Sure. Yeah, so it's been just an incredible first year. We're just really seeing God's blessing in His hand on um, this platform. 
And it's not, um, we don't see ourselves as a nonprofit or even a ministry, but a ministry platform that's been created for the church, for the work of ministry in the city and in the nation. Um, and it's just the favor has been um, hard to keep up with at times, to be honest, because there's just so much interest. Um, the number of social workers and nonprofits and because there's so many needs and the churches have been disconnected from the needs for quite a long time, to be honest. Mm -hmm. I think we've taken a step back as a church and we've given it over to child welfare and the government and to different nonprofits to care for the vulnerable in our cities. And I believe God is turning that around and he's saying, no, it's time for my church to step back in. It's time for my church to be at the point of care and to be caring for the most vulnerable in their communities, in their neighborhoods. And this platform allows for that to happen. And so um, the response from the churches, most pastors are like, yes, yes, we this is what we want. We want our people to be connected to needs. So we have close to 100 churches that have enrolled and been trained um, that are starting to meet needs. And North Park's been one of our star churches and a light in the city and helping to lead the way, which I'm really grateful for. Um, and I think this is just the beginning. I mean, we see this growing and expanding the Department of Child and Family Services has just, we just signed our agreement yesterday with them. So it took about a year and a half. Um, And they're saying, we want the help of the churches. You know, we want the church to help us with these, with our families and our kids that are in crisis. And so our hope and dream is that five years from now, we've got 500 churches in LA County that are serving and their small groups are signed up and serving and that we're owning our neighborhoods and our zip codes saying, look, if there's a family or there's a single mom or there's a child in crisis in my area, our church is going to meet that need and the church is coming together, meeting those needs so that um, we can reverse the foster crisis in Southern California. And I, I really believe the church is going to do that. I, that's one of the things that drives me is we have this massive foster crisis across America and the church is the solution, you know, and the church is rising up and starting to, to do that. And so I'm super excited about the future and just where we're heading. Well, me too. I think the, the you know, the need is great. And you've pointed out before that uh, L.A. County, um, sadly, uh, really has one of the worst foster uh, um, needs um, uh, in, the, in the nation. Just so many kids in the foster system. So the need is huge. And, and you make the point so many times so eloquently that, um, you know, one of the things that the churches can do uh, is help families uh, before kids get into the system. Yeah. Um, and so many times, like the example I gave, where maybe there's a uh, abuse in the a family, or maybe there's just been a crisis. Um, a parent has died or, or lost uh, a job, and and um, circumstances are just really challenging. And the the living conditions for the for the kid or kids. Um, require DCFS to be involved. Mm-hmm. And uh, and without intervention, those kids could be removed uh, just with the way the law is structured. And so there are opportunities for the church to step in at that point of crisis uh, and provide tangible um, things, services, supplies, so forth, uh, whether housing or, or what have you, 
that would prevent the children from unnecessarily being taken out of really a loving home Mm -hmm. and prevent those kids from going into the foster care system. Mm -hmm. So it's both the preventive preventative aspect. It's then for uh, kids that are in the midst. And then there's a third part that you've you've really highlighted to us and brought to my attention, uh, the significant uh, need for the churches to pull alongside kids that are aging out of the foster system. Mm -hmm. And I mean, you gave us some statistics when you came that were absolutely mind-boggling and and just uh, devastating in terms of uh, sex trafficking and how sex mm-hmm. trafficking in LA County is a major, major problem. It's mm-hmm. a major problem around the country mm-hmm. and how those sex traffickers target the mm-hmm. buildings where the 18 year old is going to come out of that building now on their own. And they are intentionally going to those places to entrap those kids mm-hmm. and pull them into sex trafficking. Yeah. Yeah. The, re- the wickedness of that the, is just staggering. Mm-hmm. And and the vulnerability of those kids at that place, that time of not having, you know, the fallback of, you know, mom and dad, help me get a car, help me get a job and find a place to live, you know? And yeah, there's something for us that we're wrestling with the church of, you know, different ways for us to get involved. And, and there's a place mm-hmm. where, you know, you're not adopting a kid in as a foster kid into your home, but here's yeah. a foster kid that needs the support of a family mm-hmm. to enter into society. I mean, I think yeah. about for myself, you know, uh, you know, those times when you're leaving high school and going off to college and that transition and how many times, you know, you needed the help of a, you know, a grandparent, you know, or a mom or a family friend and mm-hmm. absent that, what would have happened? And, and I think, yeah. you know, there is that opportunity for the church to step in, you know, in that gap. Yeah. Right. Yeah. We need people to step in, you know, along the spectrum of care. We have prevention, like you mentioned, 60 to 70% of the kids going into foster care are going into the system because of neglect. Mm -hmm. But when you really dig down to what neglect is, a lot of times it's poverty-related issues. It's um, single moms that, like you said, need beds for their kids. They're sleeping on the floor. They can't afford beds. You know, they're barely making ends meet. So their kids can go into the foster care system because that's considered neglect. So the church can step in and prevent kids from going into care by simply supporting single moms and families that are in crisis that are losing their jobs because of COVID or um, just really need support, you know, and we're called to the poor. I mean, we know we're called to the poor. Um, So that's prevention. And a lot of the needs that go into Care Portal are prevention related. We need to support foster families, families that step into the gap and feel called to open up their homes to kids. I mean, it's it's intense. I mean, you have to go to visitations. You have, um, you're dealing with kids that come from trauma. You know, we need to step in as a church and provide support, encouragement, prayer, and all, you know, that's part of the need too. But then you have kids that are aging out of care, like you said. And even kids in group homes, because there aren't enough homes in L.A. County, a lot of the kids are in group homes. So as young as like six years old, they're in a group home, institutional care with no family, no parents. It's staff Mm. that come in and out. So it's preparing them for institutional care. And the statistics show that the kids in the group homes um, pretty much end up in our prisons. Mm. 
So if the church was stepping in and fostering and and taking in these kids and believing in them and praying over them and, you know, then we could stop a lot of that from happening. But then you also have the kids that are aging out of care, like you said, and we've just developed a new program. And this is an opportunity for the church to put out there, to pray, ask God if this is something that you're called to. Um, it's similar to hosting an international student. Um, it's called host homes. You can be a host home for a transitioning age youth. So the commitment is six months. Um, six months to a year, and you host an aged out foster youth that doesn't have a family um, in your home. And there's someone that's doing case management, that's overseeing, making sure everything's okay. There's a contract that's written up, your rules of the house, and that kind of thing. But a lot of these kids, you know, they're, some of them are even in college, and they're living in their cars because they don't have families, and they can't afford to, you know, an apartment. And so there's just a real need for people who are willing to invest in their lives, open up, you know, say you have a spare bedroom, your kids have gone off to college or something, you can host one of these kids and just be an influence in their life and show them the love of Jesus. Wow, that's significant. So... If somebody right now is um, watching this or they're listening uh, uh, via podcast uh, and, and they're feeling, you know, um, moved to, to, to step in in one of these ways, or maybe they just have more questions uh, to, to, to figure out, you know, whether they should, how would they get involved? Where would they go? Who should they contact uh, to learn more uh, and to uh, uh, step in and figure out how to step in and be a part of this to, to work alongside? Yeah. I mean, to sign up for Care Portal um, as the church, you can go to the website for North Park and, and everybody knows that. Um, if someone's interested in hosting a child, either through foster care or um, the host homes program where you can host a transition age youth, I would have them reach out to me directly. Um, Rebecca okay. at careportal.org is my email and you can... I don't know if you can put that up on the screen or... Um, I'll do that for uh, for the video. For um, somebody who's just listening, um, would you spell the email address that they would um, reach out to you? Yeah, it's Rebecca with a K. So it's R-E-B-E-K-A-H at CarePortal, C-A-R-E-P-O-R-T-A-L dot org. Um, you can email me if you have any questions about foster care, um, about hosting a child. Um, but we really need the church to rise up and protect kids. And like you said, I mean, the enemy is targeting the kids. There are evil people that are targeting these children. Um, we were fostering a, a young girl from a group home, and she told me that her roommate was being trafficked starting at the age of 11, straight from the group home. Oh. And the laws in L.A. County allow them to leave the group home, and there's nothing the group home can do. So they send Ubers outside of the group homes, pick up the kids, take them off, and sometimes they never see them again. They, they go AWOL. So we have a responsibility as the church to protect children and to protect the vulnerable. And this is, you know, how we can step in and do our part. And if you're listening to this and you're, you know, you're not a part of North Park uh, Community Church here in Santa Clarita, um, and uh, you want your church to be involved in this, maybe they're not yet uh, involved, um, 
what I encourage you to do is talk to, uh, if you're a pastor, you know, reach out to uh, Care Portal, um, careportal.org, uh, uh, O-R-G, and uh, go to their website and you can uh, learn more there. And there'll be ways for you to get in contact with um, a representative uh, in your area. And if you're in the Southern California area, which uh, really is LA County, um, San Bernardino County, Riverside County, I mean, a large area, reach out to Rebecca. Uh, for uh, your church to sign up uh, and be a part of this. And the really great thing about it, just say from our perspective as a church, is that it's super simple. Really what you do when you sign up, what you're doing is um, you, the, the church then, anybody in your church that wants to be a part of it, uh, signs up with their email. And then um, there's a, think of uh, your church as being a dot on a map. And then think of a radius a circle around uh, the dot of your church, 10 to 15 miles. Uh, and you can set the radius to be smaller or larger. And then any needs that come up within that circle, a uh, caseworker. So for example, in our case, um, in our instance, from the Heart School District, finds a family, uh, they're in need, they need a twin bed uh, for uh, the family so that the uh, a kid doesn't go into foster system. Caseworker puts that into Care Portal, uh, and the location of that home is within the radius of our church, within that circle. Then that's going to trigger an email being sent to anybody uh, in that circle within our church uh, who has signed up. And so, you know, for North Park, we've got 70 some odd um, emails that have been submitted, um, you know, which is, you know, maybe 150 or more people. And they're going to receive that email. And then, and then uh, it's up to the individual to decide whether to respond. Uh, there's not a commitment that you have to meet that. It's um, uh, whether you can. Maybe you've got the resource. Maybe you, you can or you can't. So there's not a commitment just by signing up, but it makes you be aware of it so that if you do have the resource, then you can respond. And the system is really um, elegant, simple, uh, button that you push, connects you with the caseworker. Um, and what it does is beautifully, is it removes the middlemen that enables, again, the person with the resource to step in uh, quickly and efficiently to meet that need. So mm -hmm. um, it also uh, is great because it doesn't... Um, uh, I think put a, a massive burden on someone to go, Oh my goodness, I've signed up, you know, here for every need that comes through. No, it's, you're going to be made aware of the ones that you feel led and are capable of meeting. So, you know, I encourage uh, pastors, get your church signed up with care portal. Uh, if you're listening to this, um, talk to your pastor or pastors about care portal, get them educated on it, uh, help them to get signed up. Uh, whether you're in Southern California or some other area, because care portal is uh, all over the country. And um, uh, and then for these other programs, too, to reach out to Rebecca and the Care Portal, uh, both for uh, being part of the system as well as um, fostering. God's putting that on your heart. They'll connect you to uh, those uh, uh, organizations that help you explore that, as well as the host homes uh, for kids that are aging out. Just a lot of tremendous mm -hmm. opportunities. And Rebecca, I just want to Thank you for what you guys are doing and the tangible way of really caring for these most vulnerable uh, here, um, you know, in L.A. County and helping us as a church tangibly uh, care and meet for these families and these kids. And I uh, pray that, you know, we'll step in the gap and pull alongside and link arms and do this well with you. 
I know it's a, mm. um, a heavy burden that you have uh, and carry, but know that we're in this with you in this, uh, mm. I think, significant work. Thank you. Well, it's been a real encouragement to me. Um, I know I've told you many times, but, you know, just watching North Park rise up and meet so many needs across Santa Clarita and the area of Spa 2, what we call in L.A. County. Um, it's just, it's, you're being a light to social workers, to DCFS, to other churches, and, and the Lord's using North Park to inspire a lot of other churches to get more involved as well. So thank you. Good. Well, I think we're just at the start. A lot more uh, growth for us and uh, opportunities to expand here. So uh, you just pray that um, we would do that and step in in significant and profound ways and all really to the glory of God. So, Rebecca, thank you. And it's just been a delight getting to hear your story and, uh, uh, you know, learn more about the way that God has been at work in your heart uh, and your family and is at work through you guys to today. So thank you so much for being a part of this. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Well, that's a delight. Well, friends, thank you for being a part of uh, this uh, episode of One. As again, we're hearing these many stories about this one body and together seeing really the significant ways that God is at work in people's hearts and minds and lives, uh, really to his glory and really to change our cities uh, and, and our world. And so we look forward to having you next time. Thanks so much for being a part. We'll talk to you later.